The church is made up of people like you and me and all of them. The church offers a ton of benefits. When we love each other, we each feel like a part of the family. When we encourage each other, we each gain confidence. When we accept each other, we feel like we belong. When we care for each other, we each feel supported. We're all a vital piece in making the church what it was meant to be. When these are lived out well, the church is a community with amazing perks. Hey there, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for joining us here at Northridge Church this week. However it is that you're tuning in, we're glad to see you, and we're super glad that you decided to take some time out of your week to invest in your faith journey. I hope your time here with us today is something that's engaging and exciting for you, but maybe even more important than that, I hope that it's something that when it's all said and done, you look back on and say, that was inspiring and it helped me take steps in my faith, and I'm glad that I took time to tune in. We hope that's true for you, and we hope that we're going to see you real soon because we're opening back up two of our campuses on August 9th, and we want to see you there. As soon as you're comfortable and ready to come back, we want to see you at either our Rochester or Webster campus. We'd love for you to be there. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name's Matt, and I work at our Henrietta campus. And I wear a lot of hats at that campus, but one of the things that I oversee is I oversee all of our equipment. I'm basically our equipment manager. So all of the vans and trailers and road cases and cables and toys and all the stuff that it takes to make a portable campus happen kind of falls under my jurisdiction to make sure that it's all working and ready to go when we need it. Side note. If you've never been to one of our portable campuses, you have to come check one out as soon as we open them back up. It's genuinely incredible what our teams of volunteers are able to do with two trailers full of stuff to take spaces that have no business being a church and turning them into incredible environments to engage with God. So when we open back up, whenever that is at our portables, I want to make sure that I see you at one of those portables because it's something that you've never seen before. I promise you that. Like I said, I oversee all of that equipment, and a big part of those systems is our road cases. And basically, you can just think of these as giant dressers that are on wheels, and they just save us from having to make four million trips to the trailers back and forth with armfuls of stuff. We can just roll one big giant case in, open it up, and it's all right there, nice and organized. Everything's where it needs to be. They're great. In fact, we probably couldn't do this without them, but the problem is they're really, really heavy. These things weigh hundreds, maybe even thousands of pounds. And if you're not careful, it takes a little bit of getting used to to figure out how the momentum and where the weight kind of shifts on them to move them around. Our volunteers learn it so fast and they can fling those things around like nobody's business. And I also have gotten pretty good at it over time. Even though I'm a smaller guy, I can do a pretty good job with those road cases because I've gotten used to where the momentum and the balance is on them. So when I have to work on things during the week, I can pretty much get things on and off the trailer completely by myself. So this past week, I was working on a couple things, getting some things ready for when we inevitably reopen, just making sure things were tidied up and in the right place. And so I finished up my work day, closed up the cases that I had, and went to load them back onto the trailer. And I do this all the time. It's not a big deal. Sometimes you just need a little bit of a running start to get up the ramp into the trailer, and we're fine. And I got two, three cases in, and then I got to case number 10. And any of the Henrietta campus roadies know exactly what I'm talking about already, because case number 10 is a monster. It has all of the spotlights that we use in our auditorium and the stands they go on. And basically, this case is just full of stuff 
that is intentionally heavy to make sure that it doesn't all fall over on people. And so this case weighs, I don't know, I've never weighed it, but it's got to be at least a million pounds. It's so heavy. But I can do this. I've done it before. So I pull the case back, and I get myself a really good running start, take up like 100 yards of parking lot, and try to get this thing up the ramp. I do it all the time. It's not going to be a problem, except I get this case about two-thirds of the way up the ramp, and I realize that there are apparently muscles that you use in the road case process that I haven't used since COVID hit. And I can't do this by myself anymore. So now I'm in this really awkward spot. I've got this road case, and I'm trying to decide, do I let this thing go and roll down the ramp, and it's probably going to fall over, and maybe one of the wheels is going to snap off? And what I decide the right thing to do is I kind of like wedge my shoulder into it and like leverage it up and over the bump into the trailer. And it works. And so I've got the case on the trailer, or so I thought. Because then the weight in the case shifted, the whole thing spun, and it pins me up against the wall of the trailer. Now, it didn't like hit my arm or anything. This isn't like that climber who had to cut his arm off or anything. I was just like caught in a corner. But I'm caught in a corner by literal thousands of pounds that are now very content sitting exactly where they are. And the other problem is our whole entire staff is working from home right now, basically, and there ain't nobody here that can help me. So I'm in a little bit of a bind here. And you could tell by the fact that I'm standing here talking to you that I eventually was able to find some help, get myself out, and we were all good. The only thing that was hurt in this whole encounter was my pride. But I would hazard that we've probably all been in a situation like that before. Now, maybe, maybe I'm the only person who's ever been pinned in a trailer behind a road case. I'm probably in a very exclusive club there. I understand that. But I think we've all had situations where we found ourselves in a place that we couldn't handle on our own. Maybe for you, it was a physical need or a spiritual need or an emotional need. I think we've all had that feeling that I'm in a place that I can't get out of unless I get some help. Now, let's flip that around, though. Okay, so now, now the situation is different. It's not me that's stuck. It's someone else. It's someone I know. It's my friend, my neighbor, my family member. They're stuck and they need my help. What do we do in that situation? In fact, I'd wager that maybe some of you had this happen to you this last week. Because last weekend, Graham talked to us about the incredible importance of confession in our spiritual growth. And how confessing sins to others is a key to unlocking part of our spiritual growth. And maybe you had one of those hard conversations. Someone close to you came up to you and said, look, I... I don't really know what I'm doing here, but all I know is that I, I'm stuck. I've got this thing, and I can't get over it, and I just want to be done with it, so I just want to tell it to you. What do we do then? Well, the good news is the Bible speaks to this. In fact, I think the Bible speaks to this in an incredibly practical, down-to-earth way that's so helpful that whether you believe the Bible is God's word or not, I think we can learn from these principles today. So let's take a look, and we're going to take a look today at the book of Galatians chapter 6. Now, Galatians is basically a letter. It's an early first century letter written by a Christian named Paul. He's got a crazy story himself. He hated Christians and then had this super dramatic encounter with God and then became a Christian and even went so far as to start churches to spread the message of Jesus. And what he would do is when he started these churches, he would send letters back to them to kind of give them some more instruction, check up on them, and make sure they're living out their faith the right way. Galatians is just one of those letters that Paul wrote 
to a bunch of Christians in the region of Galatia, thus Galatians. So, that's all this is. It's a letter. We're reading someone else's mail here, but let's take a look at what he says in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, this seems right on topic, right? Now, before we go any further, there are a couple things that I want to make sure we cover so we don't get derailed before we get any momentum going here. The first is the word caught. It says, if someone's caught in a sin. Now, this is, this is caught as in the fish got caught in the net. This isn't caught as in I caught you embezzling money from your job. There's a difference here. This is someone coming to you saying, hey, I'm stuck. This isn't you sneaking around, keeping tabs on someone, saying, aha, you're stuck. There's a difference here. This is the first one. So, he says, if someone is caught in a sin, the next thing, you who live by the Spirit. That's the second thing I want to make sure we clarify here. What does he mean when he says, you who live by the Spirit? What's he talking about? Is he talking about some kind of like spiritual special force? I don't think he is. I think he's just giving the opposite. He's saying, if someone of you is stuck, those of you who aren't stuck should restore that person gently. So what do we do when someone comes to us with a spiritual problem that they can't handle on their own? We restore that person gently. One of my favorite YouTube channels right now is this guy who takes old stuff he finds at garage sales, lamps and tools, whatever, and he does what he calls perfect restorations on them. So he strips all the old paint off and cleans them and like replaces the parts that are missing and beats all the dents out and then puts a new coat of paint on them. And he doesn't talk. There's no music. It's just the sounds of this guy working. It's awesome. And when it's all said and done, he takes this thing that looked like an absolute piece of trash at the beginning of the show and is now you'd be totally convinced that it was absolutely brand new. It's really fun to watch, and that's exactly what we're talking about here. This idea that we take our friend who's caught, and we pick him up, we brush the dirt off of him, we polish off all the stuff that needs polished off, we help them set boundaries, build relationships, restore friendships. We restore them, and we do it gently. That's what we're talking about. Let's keep reading. Galatians 6.1, Paul goes on to say, But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Now, this kind of comes out of nowhere, right? Are we really saying that I'm at more of a risk spiritually because I'm helping out someone else? And the answer to that is, is yes, and I think it's yes for two reasons. The first one's a practical one, and it's just that being close to messy situations tends to get messy for us too. Now, this doesn't mean that you're automatically going to get sucked into the exact same sin that your friend is struggling with. Maybe it's just... The whole process takes a really long time and you start to get a little bit bitter about all of it. Or maybe it's just a really, really broken situation and it starts to lead you to despair a little bit. It could be any of those things. It's just one of those things that being around messy situations tends to bring out the messiness that's already inside all of us. The second one, though, I think is a spiritual reason. And we don't like to talk about this a lot, but the reality is that we have a spiritual enemy. Satan is real, and he doesn't want your friend to be restored. In fact, he'll st if that means he has to take you down with him in order to make that happen, he absolutely will. So we restore the person gently, but we also need to step up our game to make sure that we don't get swept up in it as well. Okay, so now at this point, you're probably thinking, okay, that's good, that makes sense, I get it. 
but that's like kind of a really specific situation. I can count on one hand the number of times someone's come up to me and been like, hey, bro, I'm caught in sin. But I think we've all had times where someone's come up to us with an issue that isn't spiritual, right? They don't, they're not stuck in a sin. They just lost a loved one. They're not dealing with this bad habit that they can't get over. They just lost their job and got evicted from their apartment. What do we do then? How do I handle that situation? And the Apostle Paul, I think, kind of sees this question coming because what he does next in the passage is he takes that principle, restoring gently and being careful, and he basically takes it and zooms out and generalizes it and helps us apply it to any kind of situation. He says this, Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. He basically says, look, sin issue or not, when someone's close to you and hurting, when they're burdened, we need to be people who step up and jump into action. And it's this powerful word picture, isn't it? You can almost see the person like struggling along the road, having a hard time walking underneath the weight of this giant thing that they're carrying, and someone else comes alongside them and says, hey, I, I, you know, I got a free hand. Let me, let me help you with that. And church, I don't want to understate the importance of this. This is a massive part of what makes the church such a special place. It's one of the biggest benefits to being a part of the church, and that is this, that the church should be a place where you receive help with the things that are too heavy to handle alone. The church should be a place where you receive help with the things that are too heavy to handle alone. Now, here's the thing. This is great, and we'd all love to be a part of something that looks like that, We'd all love to know that there's help on the horizon when we need it, but the reality is that there is no help unless there are helpers. There's no help unless there are helpers. There's no burden carrying unless there are burden carriers. There are no church perks unless there are people who are living out those perks. It's not enough to just receive the benefits of church. We also have to be the benefit for someone else. Now, let me, let me talk to my church people here for a second. This is incredibly important. There are people, thousands of people, who have left their church and walked away from faith entirely because when life got hard, they reached out for help and they found that all of this was just apparently a lot of cheap talk. And they walked away from their faith entirely. We have to get this right, church. And I think the way that I would say it is this. I would love it if our mindset became this sentence right here. If it's too heavy for you, then I'll carry it too. In fact, I, I want all of us to say that together. Right there in your living room, kids, make sure your parents are participating. Let's all say it together. If it's too heavy for you, then I'll carry it too. If it's too heavy for you, then I'll carry it too. That needs to become part of our vocabulary as a church. And I'll be honest, I'd love to just walk off stage right now and leave you with that, but we all know it isn't that simple, right? Because if it was, this would happen all the time, but it doesn't. Why doesn't this happen more in our churches? Why doesn't this happen more in Northridge Church? And I think the answer to that question is because there's another behavior that we're all really good at that goes directly against this mindset. It's a natural enemy that's inside of us that fights against us saying, if it's too heavy for you, then I'll carry it too. And that is pride. Pride kills. 
compassion. It eats compassion for breakfast and then it goes back for seconds. Pride kills compassion. It causes us to turn. If it's too heavy for you, then I'll carry it too into all kinds of other ugly things. Instead of, hey, if that's too heavy for you, then I'll carry it too. Pride says, that's not too heavy for me, so why on earth should I help you with it? It says, I went through that exact same thing and no one helped me, so why should you get something that I didn't? Instead of, hey, I'll carry that too, pride says, I have my own heavy things. I don't have time for you. Instead of, I'll carry that too, it says, if that's too heavy for you, well, then I'm glad I'm not as weak as you are. Instead of, if it's too heavy for you, then I'll carry it too, pride says, well, now you wouldn't be in that situation if you had just made better choices, now would you? See, pride strips us of compassion for those around us. It forces us to reject the uniqueness of each and every situation and ignore all of the external factors at play and boil every single need down to an issue of either greed or laziness. And then it goes one step further and it causes us to ignore the giant mountain of stuff that we're hiding in our own closet and lets us feel good about ourselves because at least we're not doing as bad as that guy is. Pride kills compassion. In fact, If we don't solve the problem of our own pride, I would go so far as to say that it's impossible for us to live out this principle. We cannot be burden bearers until we deal with the problem of pride. In our passage, Paul says it this way, verses 3 and 4. If anyone thinks that there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, and then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. He's saying that we need to keep tabs on ourselves. We need to test our own actions and then determine how well we're doing based on, get this, how well we are doing, not how well the other person is doing. And why is that? Galatians 6, 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, wait a second. This seems like kind of the opposite here. Like we were just talking about bearing burdens and how we should do that, and now we're saying everyone should carry their own load. What's going on here? And you're right, there is a tension here, but I want you to notice that it's a different word. We were talking about burdens, now we're talking about loads, and I think that change is intentional. And the reason your Bible makes that change is because Paul, when he originally wrote this, he was writing it in Greek, and he used a different word here. And the people in Galatia, when they read this, would have immediately understood that we're talking about something completely different now. See, now we aren't talking about something that's too much for one person. We're not talking about something that's out of the ordinary. We're talking about something that's very ordinary. We're talking about something that everyone deals with. A load is something that every single person has. It's the standard issue equipment for a military person. It's the standard amount of labor that a person can do in one day. It's not out of the ordinary. It's very ordinary. And read this carefully. We're commanded to carry someone else's burden, and we're commanded to carry our own load. We're not commanded to make sure everyone else is carrying their own load. We're not commanded to be the judge of whether or not someone else should be able to handle the situation they're in on their own. We're commanded to carry their burden and to carry our own load. What Paul's saying here is essentially this. Our attitude should be accountability towards ourselves and compassion towards others. Accountability towards ourselves and compassion towards others. We aren't allowed to make ourselves feel good because we're doing better than that other guy. We are all accountable for our own load. We all have unique responsibilities and situations that God has placed us in. 
And if we're honest with ourselves, we probably don't do as good a job with those as we expect others to do with their own situations. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Notice the end of that verse. You will fulfill the law of Christ. What's crazy is that Paul here is saying that you can boil all of Jesus' teaching, all of his commandments, all of the parables, you can boil all of those down to this one single thing. He's saying if you can get burden-carrying right, you've got it all. So what do we do with this? What do we, as people living here in Rochester, New York, do with this message? Let's get practical. If we're going to be burden carriers, if we're going to fulfill the law of Christ here at Northridge Church to be people marked by accountability towards others and accountability towards ourselves and compassion towards others, if we're going to be people who say, if it's too heavy for you, then I'll carry it too, what do we need to do? First, I think we need to see more needs. I think we need to just see more needs. If we're honest with ourselves, part of the reason we don't do this well is because we go through our entire lives on autopilot, and if I'm not careful, I can go through an entire day, entire months on end, without ever meeting a need that truly catches my attention. See, the brokenness around us just becomes a part of the noise, and then the news and politicians try to capitalize it and push their own positions. Companies then hop on board and try to move some product out of it, and when it's all said and done, we just kind of move right on by. So we need to stop and see more needs. We have to open our eyes to the hurt that's around us. We need to open our homes to the people that are around us to stop and listen. These burdens are all around you. You don't even need to go to a different part of town to find them. They're right there. They might not look like what you'd expect, but those burdens are there, and we need to slow down and open our eyes, and we'll begin to see the burdens around us. Second, I think we need to default to compassion. We need to make our first response compassion, and if you're like me, and that's not what your first response is, then fake it until you make it, man. You can act compassionately even if you don't feel it yet. You can act out of compassion until your emotions come along and start to follow. Remember, our job isn't to determine whether or not someone else should be able to handle what they're facing right now. It isn't to dig into their past and microanalyze every decision they've ever made to make sure it isn't one of those situations. We need to default to compassion. Do we need to use wise judgment? Absolutely. Do we need to be strategic to make sure that we aren't helping in a way that causes harm long-term? Yes, please do that, but don't skip compassion. See, you know yourself, and you know if the driving force behind you wanting to find a better way to help is actually that, or if it's just a convenient excuse to do nothing over and over again. If that's the case, fix it. Default to compassion. Next, I think we need to reject comparison. We need to refuse to play the comparison game. Even though it's incredibly tempting, we can't compare life situations. Your own failures aren't swept away by the bigger failures of the person next door. We're all accountable to our own load. We have to judge ourselves not by everyone else's standards, not by whether we're better than the person around us, but by God's 
standard. Refuse to play the comparison game. And then lastly, we need to look to Jesus. Because this all goes back to Jesus. Every single one of us has a burden that we cannot carry on our own. It's the burden of our own sin, our own failures, our own brokenness. And it's a burden that demands our lives as payment. And Jesus, in his love for us, steps down out of heaven and becomes a human just like us, faces all of the temptations that come in this world and comes out on the other side completely unscathed. For the first time in human history, there is a person with no burden of sin. And then he steps down, reaches down, and takes our burden. It isn't his, that he has no business dealing with. He's past the test. He doesn't have a burden. He takes ours and he carries it down the dusty road to a Roman cross where he's beaten and put to death in our place. The book of Isaiah says it this way. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity, the burden of us all. You see, this this all goes back to Jesus. The one who with no failures of his own chose to reach down in love and carry a burden that he didn't have to bear. To take up our burden and offer his life in exchange for ours so that he can offer us life freely. To anyone who's willing to take the burden of their own sin and lay it at his feet and make him the leader of their life. See, that's, that's really how all of this happens, right? Because I can't carry your burden. I've got my own. I've got my own sin to deal with. I can't help you. But Jesus, in his incredible love, steps down, reaches down to me, takes the burden of my sin onto himself, and then in exchange looks at me and says, hey, you think you can help him with his? And then so I... So we, in the freedom of life, free from the burden of sin, can walk over to our friend, our brother and sister next to us and simply say, hey, if that's too heavy for you, then I'll carry it too. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving us enough to take our burdens, to give yourself in our place so that we could be free from the burden of sin. And God, today we want to see more needs around us. We want to see more needs around us and make our response compassionate so that we can respond to others with compassion, not comparison. Father, let your love drive us to love those around us better to be burden carriers, to be people who step in and say, if that's too heavy for you, then I'll carry it too. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you're here today and this is the first time you've heard that. 
The idea that this burden that's been weighing you down can be taken away. If you've got questions about that, I'd encourage you to text the word trust to the number that's on your screen right now. There's a person there who wants to help you. They want to talk you through what this means to place your faith in Jesus, to give up that burden. Just text trust to that number and we would love to help talk you through what that looks like. Man, thanks so much for being here today. I hope that your time with us was challenging, that it was engaging. And more importantly than that, I hope that you're walking away with really clear steps, that God's working in your heart right now with steps that you can take to become a burden bearer for the people around you. Thanks so much for joining us, man. We would love to see you back here online next week, virtually on TV, however you're joining us. But then on August 9th, we want to see you at our Rochester or our Webster campus. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you around.